Welcome to the Content Magazine Podcast, Conversations with Silicon Valley's Creatives. I'm Daniel Garcia, the Cultivator of Content Magazine, published by SV Creates. Today's host is David Valdespino, the Content Magazine Director. Awesome. Welcome to the Content Magazine Podcast. I'm David Valdespino, and today we have the privilege of sitting with bassist, composer, arranger, and software engineer, Noriyuki Ken Okoda. How's it going? Good, thanks. Right on. Thanks for coming in today and giving us a chance to talk. Yeah, awesome. So I was doing a little bit of research on on you, right? You're a jazz musician, um, obviously bassist, but you play other instruments as well. Um, You have your group called the Ken Okoda Group, um, and you have a show coming up with San Jose Jazz in November. Um, so for folks that might not have any concept of jazz whatsoever, what does bassist, composer, and arranger mean in a jazz setting? Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, um, I think they're slightly different roles, um, you know, bassist, composer, arranger, but for me, being a bassist is the most natural kind of thing, so I'll probably start from there bass is when you see a jazz you know live show um you might notice bass is usually in the middle on of the stage as opposed to if it's a rock or pop music drums is usually the center so that always tells the sort of nature of the instrument Mm. Um, it holds things together and it provides like the tonal center and also the rhythmic um you know, guidance to all musicians. So, uh, but usually bassist is, uh, you know, not seen as a front person. So uh, actually I I love that role. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to be like the star of the show, but I know, you know, because of, you know, bass, because of me, the band is grooving, swinging, you know, Mm -hmm. things are happening. So uh, I love that feeling. And Actually, being a composer and arranger is a little bit like that in terms of I want the band to sound great. I don't have to be like credited as, oh, you know, Ken Okada wrote this beautiful melody. Mm. Uh, Maybe a little bit, but I want to leave a lot of things to the band who performs my song Mm -hmm. uh, or arrangement. Mm -hmm. So... uh, and, and, and for jazz music, it's a collaborative music. You, you want, or I want, the performers to like, really shine and create really cool music on the spot. So mm-hmm. I want to leave room uh, for the performance, uh, performers uh, when I write music. So, awesome. uh, yeah. Great. Well, thanks for that, that intro there. There's like so many questions I want to go into, and I'm going to try to stick to my, my flow here. So mm. that's a nice kind of primer for, for what you do as a musician. Um, moving back and some of the kind of research that I was doing, I was just looking at your upbringing, right? So like your bio, the first thing it says is that you're born in New York, raised mm-hmm. in Brazil, and then spent time in Japan before moving to, to the U.S. So can you kind of tell us about your, your upbringing and growing up? Yeah. So uh, I was born in New York when my family was in New York because of my dad's business. And uh, I don't remember uh, too well because I was 
two when we moved back to Japan from New York, and mm -hmm. then uh, soon after that we moved to Brazil uh, because of the you know same business mm -hmm. stuff of my dad's. But um, yeah, when I, when we were in Brazil, I started you know playing the piano because of my two big sisters. They were already learning piano, and I was just curious, you know, hey, I want to play piano as well. But um, nothing serious, just for fun. Mm -hmm. But still, it gave me a pretty good foundation of, uh, you know, some basic, you know, music reading and concepts of, like, keys and rhythms, those kind of things, mm -hmm. that helped me uh, really go into, uh, you know, more music I loved when I was a teenager after uh, going back to Japan. Mm -hmm. And uh, around that time, I was into video games, just like <laughs> every other kid. <laughs> um, and I also uh, enjoyed listening to, like, top 40 kind of American music again, from my uh, big sister's influence. Mm -hmm. So uh, those things together, I got into, um, you know, electronic music, um, you know, programming using sequencers, like digital computer sequencers. And even, uh, you know, I also started playing drums and bass around that time. Mm -hmm. And I loved playing drums to like click sound, click track. Mm -hmm. Uh, so all of those things uh, happened in my middle school and high school uh, kind of years. Yeah. And I was fortunate to have, like, great friends uh, who were, you know, curious about all these different, you know, genres of music. So we would form multiple bands and playing, uh, like, whenever possible. So, uh so what was that kind of musical influence like within your house? Like, were your parents musicians at all? What was their kind of take on you all playing playing music? That's a great question. Um, my parents were not musicians. My dad loved listening to classical and jazz music, um, though. So maybe that was a little bit of, uh, you know, beginning. But my biggest influence came from my big sisters, uh, like many other things, but yeah, I don't even remember when was the first time I listened to, the, you know, uh, like top 40 or American or Western music. Mm -hmm. But, uh, as far as I can remember, I, I was like, uh, borrowing cassette tape from my sister and, uh, you know, play it on my Walkman. Mm -hmm. And so, so a lot of that kind of period of your life you spent in Japan for the most part. Yes. And so what was kind of the music scene there? Obviously, there's top 40 American stuff going on and then, you know, the video games and everything like that. But like what what was kind of popular at that at that time amongst your friends? You said they listened right. to a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, there were Japanese rock bands, pop groups as well. And those were probably the most dominant uh, music that people would listen to. Mm -hmm. But many of those were influenced by Western music. Mm -hmm. And you could, you know, even hear very similar arrangements or instrumentations or even grooves or uh, like riffs sort of borrowed uh, from like Western hit songs. Yeah. But I was not fully aware of those original versions. I would like 
listen to the Japanese version and just, you know, enjoyed it. And later I found out, oh, this was actually a reference from, you know, like Stevie Wonder or I don't know, like Larry Graham or、mm-hmm. a lot of black music, actually. Yeah. Interestingly.、Um, so, yeah, that, that was like that. Even like pop、um, idol group songs, because, you know, those projects are usually done by like team of like composers and arrangers and,、mm-hmm. you know, programmers. Those people were influenced, heavily inf- influenced, like jazz music or black music,、um, you know. You, you, can, you can see if you go to YouTube and you know, search for like 70s, 80s Jap- Japanese music, actually,、mm-hmm. you can hear a lot of influences、totally. from American music. Totally. So, where did the kind of role of video games come in there? Can you kind of like paint that picture? Obviously, that's a big part of your life, you know, technology and music.、Um, so, what was kind of the landscape of video games and what kind of soundtracks were, were inspiring you there? Right.、Um, I think it started from. Like the、uh, NES type of 8 bit, like three voice, very simple, you know, digital sound.、Uh, but that soon、um, sort of、uh, evolved into richer tracks. Like when I was a teenager, that, w- that was when arcade games would go from simple beep sounds from like three, you know, polyphonic. Uh, digital tones, and then into six voice, and then into like real sampled music.、Mm-hmm. So I was able to like experience this, the,、uh, the evolution in real time.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, and that overlaps with when fusion music became popular in Japan.、Mm-hmm. And again, that was、uh, heavily influenced by Western, you know, American fusion music,、mm-hmm. uh, like Brecker Brothers or.、Uh, Uh, David Sanborn or like Yellow Jackets.、Mm-hmm. But again, the Japanese fusion music and video games were like the first thing I was directly influenced from. And later I found, like, oh, this was from Brecker Brothers kind of thing.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, but going back to the game、uh, video music,、uh, many, I would say most of Sound creators for those video game tracks were again influenced by Japanese fusion music.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, naturally, as I kept listening to video game soundtracks,、um, you know, I heard from friends that actually the bassist and the drummer who are、uh, playing for this game video,、uh, video game soundtrack、mm-hmm. are from this fusion group.、Awesome. So, you should check out this you know, band. That's how I got introduced to、uh, Japanese fusion music. Very cool. So, just for, again, folks that might not be familiar, what kind of categorizes fusion music as opposed to like any other kind of genre of music, I guess, right? Mm hmm. Because、um, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like a form of jazz, isn't it? Or is it not necessarily jazz? In the American fusion is more jazz, I would say. Compared to Japanese fusion. Japanese fusion has focus on like instrumental,、uh, like friendly melody, like technique heavy. It's like a showcase, it's almost like a circus of <laughs> like,、uh, like superhuman techniques、mm-hmm. using some、uh, pop, easy to listen to melodies.、Mm-hmm. Whereas 
American fusion is basically a fusion of jazz and rock. It has jazz at center, in my opinion, but using like new uh, instruments, new grooves from like rock or other genres. Uh, but it's like always improvisation heavy. Mm -hmm. And harmony is usually more uh, complicated compared to Japanese fusion. Totally. Cool. Awesome. And so, you know, you're having this experience with video games and like digging deeper and then finding more of the music at the core while being a musician yourself, right? Like you were playing throughout um, high school and such. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that you went to university actually um, for music or you played with a university band at mm -hmm. some point. So how was, how were both of those interests kind of playing out as you were coming into adulthood and kind of figuring out what you wanted to be when you grew up, right? Right. <laughs> Forever question. Yeah. I never really pictured, uh, you know, um, what would happen in adult, you know, years, you know, back then. I was just curious about jazz music because of, you know, fusion music. Uh, we were writing songs and, like, submitting to, like, music competitions back then, but I found that I was not very good at improvising, like, Friends would, like my band members would say, you know, we'll give you a bass solo, you know, do something. And I was like, uh, <laughs> um, you know, run out of ideas very quickly. Hmm. So I was like, okay, I think I got the basic techniques uh, to like play fusion, but I don't know how to improvise. Uh, maybe I should look into jazz. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, my friends band you know I, I went to uh, un a university of Tokyo but uh, my closest friend in my high school years went to Keio University which w had the uh, big band with the longest history in, in mm -hmm. Japanese college big band mm -hmm. and he was like uh, we don't have a bass player you know do you want to sub and I was like yeah of course why not so that's how I got, you know, into college big band. And back then, I almost like didn't know, you know, anything about jazz. So it was pretty painful to even play some very basic blues. Mm. Blues is like a 12 bar form. Uh, one of the, you know, important forms in, in jazz and blues and rock. But just improvising those simple four beat uh, walking bass line was painful yeah. at first. But after I kept playing and after playing many times, I finally, you know, started to build my own system of, okay, I could use this note to build the next movement kind of stuff. So uh, that even expanded into like improvising solos and creating melodies. So, uh, beginning, beginning to, uh, you know, start playing jazz was a very important turning point. Awesome. And at, and at that point you were going to University of Tokyo also, what were you studying for school at that point? Great question. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, actually I, I, I majored in law. Okay. And <laughs> so <laughs> random. And, um, Back then, I was just 
in high school, I was I was a pretty arrogant <laughs> kid, <laughs> and I was like, uh, if I am to take an exam for university anyway, you know, why not try the hardest school? And University of Tokyo Faculty of Law is pretty much the most the hardest school to get in in Japan. Um, at least, you know, uh, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I was like, uh, maybe I'll become a lawyer and I'll only take cases that I'm interested in. And rest of the time, I'll play music. Very arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out because studying for the bar was really hard. Yeah. I failed six times wow. miserably. And by that time, Um, you know, my girlfriend, who is my wife now, has already, you know, graduated from school <laughs> and started working for a big company surrounded by, you know, those established, you know, really cool adults. And I was like, no, you know, nobody. I was still studying for the bar. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, going back to your question, yeah, I was I was studying law. Yeah, but playing playing music at the same time. So yeah. interesting the the parallel parallel paths there at least. Um, so moving forward, right? So you moved to uh, the Bay Area in 2002. Mm -hmm. um, I pulled up your LinkedIn because that's just what we do these days. Mm -hmm. um, and then going through your list, right? Like there's CEO and VP and founder and manager of all of these things, right? The first one was uh, like cell phone, right. music, yeah, ringtone technology. And that yeah. was your own company at that time. Yep. So, so can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So it came out, um, Naturally, but not, we, we didn't plan out everything, of course. You know, I was, that was the time when I, I, I gave up the bar exam. Yeah. And I was like, I, I got to do something. Uh, otherwise, my girlfriend would leave me, um, <laughs> desert me. Um, so I just started taking programming, uh, mm. you know, gigs because I happened to have done programming, um, you know, in my childhood, it was fun. Um, and my, you know, friends were like, hey, I know you were, you know, you have done some programming. You want to learn some more? Do you want to do some serious stuff and, you know, take some real uh, programming jobs? And I was like, yeah, sure. So uh, I had this uh, friend who would become co-founder later for our first company. Uh, he would teach me uh, via emails um, about some C programming basics. Um, so that's how we started, but we gradually um, took more programming gigs. And finally we were like, Oh, this is cool. We are making money, more money than, you know, our classmates. <laughs> so we should create a company. Yeah. Know, we could be rich, you know, <laughs> which was, you know, naive, <laughs> of course. But, uh, yeah, it took a couple of years for us to, you know, really become stable as a company. But yeah. soon we found, like, oh, this is just like any other 
software company mm. that we're doing. This is this may get boring pretty quick. Mm. So uh, that's why because that friend was also a musician, we were like, you know, we should do something uh, around music AI, and that's how uh, we came up with the idea of. Um, you know, machine-generated music or machine-generated arrangement where users would be able to create their own version of a song, which became a ringtone service. Wow. So, yeah, I was the, uh, I still had that arrogant personality back then, <laughs> um, you know, that I had in high school and college, and I was like, I would be the CEO of this company. Um, but, Many of the heavy lifting uh, was done by the team, of course. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool uh, team effort. Um, and we commercialized the technology into uh, mobile apps in multiple countries. So it was really cool. Interesting. Yeah, but still with that baseline of music and then kind of conjuring back some of that early video game influence and inspiration. Um, what was what was that period like? I mean, one thing that I always kind of hear, right, is like the difference in creativity between like business and art or art and science. Um, but you're kind of straddling that line. And in some ways, jazz can straddle that line also because it's very technical um, and takes a lot of experience mm -hmm. and understanding. Um, but what's kind of your approach to creativity in both of those spheres, or how do they influence one another, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, that's a great question, because in Japan, typically, you're, you know, as you grow up, you're sort of forced to choose one of, like, art versus science. Um, and by art, I mean, like, uh, you know, law and econs type of, you know, stuff versus pure science. Mm. Um, but to me, I was interested in both. And both of my big sisters, two big sisters, were artists. So, you know, I would learn, like, drawing, painting from them uh, as a child. So to me, and also programming was my hobby as a child. So uh, everything was sort of naturally together. So it does uh, definitely influence each other. When I'm creating something, creating music, I have like several different uh, approaches and tools, um, systems, but a few of them are definitely like systematic, mm -hmm. like starting from like the... Uh, the key signature or the tempo and some basic motifs uh, that would become a melody at some point, but I would start from those like pieces um, and then connect them using either like artistic inspirations or systematic like calculations. You know, this should work together with this chords and then after hearing that, that inspires me, and I hear where that music is going. And then I would capture that. And that's like the cycle of those uh, processes. Mm -hmm. 
so uh, yeah, it's just uh, mixed together in 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 myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, it may not be a you know clear uh, description of the, the the process, but it's yeah. it's like mixed together, and I go from here to there, different different angles, and then that it itself inspires myself to jump to some um, other place. Yeah. So touching on composition there also, um, with something like jazz, where there's not necessarily lyrics, you know, there can be instrumental um, jazz. A lot of your compositions are instrumental um, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you feel like you're trying to convey? Or what do you feel like you're trying to um, get the audience to take away or the listener to take away from music that may not have like a message that just beats them over the head right like right what, what what's kind of that influence or inspiration when you're writing songs i think a few things one is i try to like find a new melody um and i shouldn't say you know that didn't exist before that's a little too arrogant <laughs> um so i just try to find a cool uh, melody line that um, sort of derived from, you know, what I've experienced, what I've heard, what I've played, and present that to the audience. And if the audience thinks that's cool, that's, that's, that's great. And other things would be um, experimenting ideas about uh, if the drums groove is like this, how can I play the bass line? This bass line could be predictable. How about this? This might be too aggressive. So finding the right balance of, you know, oh, that's cool, uh, that's new, but it's not like over the top, uh, I mean, like aggressive or uh, experimental. The balance mm-hmm. is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also try to find a melody that um, sort of derived from my bass playing, mm-hmm. uh, which I think would be, you know, unique as opposed to a melody that comes from like a horn pr- player. Mm-hmm. So I try to find some meaning, you know, how that music uh, came about. And that could be like a few different, uh, you know, uh, paths, but... Uh, that's what I'm trying. Yeah. And so how does that all work with the group, right? Like you said you wanted to give room to, you know, some of the lead instruments, the guitars and the horns and that kind of thing to improvise and experiment. So how does that work when you're composing? And then also, how is your group composed? Like I imagine y'all play together quite a bit, but also jazz musicians can just kind of sit in. So so how does that kind of work with the right. group? Um. I think it depends a little bit on if I know beforehand that who's going to play this chart. But most of the cases, I try to make my chart like, a, you know, this is a music, musician term, but a real book tune. Mm-hmm. Real book is a, uh, uh, it's a song book um, for jazz musicians. It has melodies and the chords to that melody and that's it there's no you know not too much explanation about 
you know, how you should play it, but it's like the core essential, uh, you know, information of songs. And uh, my ultimate dream is to have my tunes in those real books, but I want to keep the chart minimal so uh, the, the player can actually use their own you know, voice to play the melody or the chords. Um, and it's, it's really amazing, like every time is different. Um, so that's that's one typical you know uh, way I, 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 I write music and mm -hmm. see it but when I know already like who's playing the drums I would use a little bit of that information and you know use that as a source of inspiration uh, maybe I want to focus I mean feature the drums feels in these in-between moments of these hits um, so that's fun too. Yeah. Well, it's a perfect transition, right? Because you have been, and then in November, you're going to be playing um, Ken Okada Group featuring Yoyaka Soma, mm -hmm. um, who's a Japanese drummer who's living in America currently, but gained a lot of you know stardom and fame uh from this little app called youtube right back mm -hmm. in 2017 so um you know she's been featured on ellen and on all over the internet uh, i read articles on npr and kqed mm -hmm. but basically got her start covering led zeppelin right <laughs> which isn't really jazz <laughs> um and then you know getting reaction videos from all of these legendary drummers you know deep purple and uh red hot chili peppers right. and all, all of these things right so and she's a drummer mm -hmm. um so y'all obviously met because she's playing with you mm -hmm. so how did when did you first hear about yoyoka and how did you meet or how did that even happen right um I saw her YouTube videos um, probably a few years ago, mm -hmm. um, and that was just shared on social media. And uh, of course, I was you know surprised. Wow, you know this drum is really good. <laughs> and she was like ten years old back then. Yeah. Or maybe the video I saw was the original, you know, eight-year-old version, you know, um, of her uh, playing uh, Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. But uh, late December, uh, la last year, last December, uh, a friend of mine uh, asked me to meet with her, and I didn't even know that she had moved to the U.S., mm. and after... You know, hearing the story, it looked like, you know, because of the pandemic, um, you know, Yoyoka had to cancel a lot of, a lot of shows. Mm. Um, but she was right on the rise back then, right? So it was really frustrating for her and her family. So they decided to actually move out uh, from Japan so they would have, like, direct opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. and just outside Japan in general. Um, so uh, this friend of mine 
was like, hey, have you heard about Yoyoka? And I was like, yeah, I think so. I've, I've seen her videos. Like, she's in, she's in America. Did you know? And I was like, what? So uh, that was three months after Yoyoka had moved to the U.S. And they were still exploring, uh, trying to expand their network so they would have more opportunities to perform mm -hmm. or just make music in general. And when, you know, on the way, you know, to their place, uh, back then they were in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was driving and I was thinking, okay, this girl has already performed with all these world-class artists. And what can I provide? Like the, the few things I could, I could think of was she seems to be rock focused mm -hmm. and uh, maybe I can provide some jazz uh, experience and maybe she has done a lot of cover videos on YouTube but you know maybe she hasn't done too much of like uh, working in the studio with other musicians type of thing mm -hmm. or like performances in general uh, so I, I maybe you know I would provide those and then we you know, meet finally, and they offered to do a quick jam session at her studio, which turned out to be great. Um, at first, I was playing some like rock or fusion like riffs just to sort of trying to adapt to her style, but um, quickly I realized okay, this is something that other work class musicians can easily do mm -hmm. so I was like let's just switch gears I'm gonna bring out my upright bass mm. and then and I started playing upright and I, I turned off my bass amp mm -hmm. because I want I wanted Yoko to hear and I started from like like subtle sound um, and gradually build we were like communicating we were looking at each other and that that was a, an amazing moment, and I was able to see Yoyoka was able to do that, and she is not just a uh, you know rock drummer trying to post as many mm -hmm. cover videos as possible. Mm -hmm. Not at all. YouTube is just one part of her music activities. Um, I, I could I could easily hear she had already absorbed a lot from hearing a lot of different types of music. So I was like, this is great. We should do something, you know, concrete. I want to do a project with you. Yeah. So that's why I booked a studio uh, immediately. <laughs> yeah. So what was that kind of unlocking process, right, of that jazz moment when you're bringing out the stand-up right because you know I read in one of her um, interviews right like one of the things they say is her ability to communicate through music um, especially as somebody that you know came to the U.S. from Japan and may not have spoken English as well as you know native speakers uh, but music was always kind of that way of communicating so what was kind of that interplay like was that just something that was like waiting to come out of that drummer or was that like yeah does that make sense yeah at the beginning, it was still 
kind of rigid mm-hmm. and uh and I didn't know how you know a good way to sort of draw her out from her comfort zone um turns out there was no comfort <laughs> zone for her she's pretty <laughs> free but she was just you know being shy a little bit because that was our first time meeting yeah. of course but I always like trying to hint like hey this is piece of my idea mm. do you want to do something about it or just leave it and at the beginning was like hesitant moments but um gradually and I tried the opposite I sort of waited for her to play something mm-hmm. and then I would like respond to that that's probably you know uh, one of the key moments uh, that unlocked her like understanding you know okay we are actually communicating mm. um, you know in, in that jam session in particular I'm pretty sure she would be able to do it anyway yeah but uh yeah, yeah that's, that's how it, it evolved it forms kind of like a dialogue almost right like it's right. kind of give and take by each of the musicians mm-hmm. um, kind of showing what they have and then building on those so right and in, in that session it was um even better that it was just two of us without mm. like chord instrument um you know it could work either way but uh, because there are no guitars or pianos, um, I was able to like freely play whatever I I, I felt like, mm-hmm. and that you know same goes to Yoyoka. So we were like freely uh, playing together. Yeah. Do you feel like both of your backgrounds as musicians from Japan that are living in America? Did you have any kind of bond over over that kind of connection? Um, and and what was that like? What were some things that you guys were kind of, oh yeah, I I know mm. that you know, right. That could be, you know, more me thinking that way. Mm-hmm. But because I had some struggles after moving from Japan to the U.S. like 21 years ago, I felt like I should provide whatever I learned to her, uh, so that she can ramp up quickly. Um, she doesn't have to go through the same struggle I had. Uh, but of course, she already has many friends who would help in mm-hmm. that way. Um, but I, I just felt, you know, it's 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 an sort of obligation as a, uh, this is a Japanese word, senpai. Senpai means someone who is uh, senior to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Japanese culture is very heavy on like age, age-based ranks mm-hmm. so if you're older than someone you're sort of expected to like have more wisdom and uh the younger person is sort of supposed to like follow <laughs> the uh more senior person's yeah. you know advice directions it could you know uh work in a not so ideal way but yeah. overall it works well and for me i felt like i should i should uh you know give whatever I learned. And by doing so, I, I'm pretty sure this is how many other people feel when you meet some someone really talented. You wanna, you know, contribute to the, to the person's success. Mm. So you feel, you know, your your life was worthwhile, <laughs> you know, a little <laughs> bit. You know, uh, my life was, you know, 
it was meaningful because of this person's success. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of that as well. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll go back to Yoyoka also. Um, but just speaking on, you know, other folks that you've played with um, in the past, um, you know, you've done jazz festivals around California, around the country, mm-hmm. um, different jazz clubs all over the place. Um who are some folks that you've played with and what are some things that you've kind of taken away from those experiences? Um, John Worley, trumpeter, San Jose based. He was the first musician who hired me after I moved from Japan. And uh, since then, I've played countless uh, stages with him. Uh, so I'm super, super grateful that he did. Um, and I, he, I think uh, he, he, he taught me just, you know, he, he, he doesn't really give direct advice. He just, he's just there and he just plays his music. But I just learned from, you know, seeing his back from the, on the stage um how he treats other musicians how he treats the venue staff how he treats you know everybody um so that that was a level learning although um the very first gig that he hired me he gave me an initiate initiation <laughs> um, we were like you know what's the first tune and he goes, let's play this uh, tune by Stanley Clark. Um, and this tune starts from a bass, open bass solo. So Ken, go and play. And he hadn't even, you know, heard me play anything. <laughs> so that was a pretty big bet. Um, so he took the risk. Um, and I think he was, I don't know, he was just making fun, but... Um, it was like teaching me, you know, be there on the stage, play to the audience, and uh, you know, play whatever I wanted to. Yeah. So that that itself was a great lesson already. So uh, yeah, John Worley, and the other person I want to mention would be Akira Tana. He's a, a Japanese American drummer, legendary. He spent probably 20 plus years in New York and he's originally from San Jose and he's back in California these days and uh, after the great earthquake in Japan in 2011 he formed a uh, a band called Otonowa which means sound circle in English mm. as a uh, sort of you know aid to the uh, people in the area, affected areas. So we would play Japanese folk music in American jazz format. Mm. And uh, that experience gave me a lot of um, so many things. Akira was in the in, in the band, as, uh, of course, but the other members, Masaru Koga on tenor saxophone, Shakuhachi, and Art Hirohara on piano, they both live in New York. Uh, but we would 
you know, fly to Japan together and play in the affected areas from the earthquake and tsunami. Uh, and we did that tour seven times, and we were going back again in January. Mm. But playing in that group, uh, I learned a lot. I learned, I think the, the, the most important part was you can lean on other musicians. Mm. And before that, I was like, as a bass player, I should provide solid rhythm solid tonal center and other musicians can build on top of me mm. that is still you know true in many scenarios but in Otonoa everybody listened to each other and even the time the groove becomes elastic it's not like the same tempo um, throughout the tune the tempo changes the energy level changes Everybody is like, you know, transforming as the as the music, you know, grows. Mm -hmm. So that was really uh, invaluable, um, you know, things I, I, I learned. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I noticed um, I looked up kind of those tours as well. And there was uh, the component in Japan. But then you also did some touring benefits in the U.S., right? Or in yes. California as mm -hmm. well. And there were some shows um, around as well, but uh, but I noticed San Jose Jazz was kind of part of that mm -hmm. also. Yes. Um, so what was that like, and are you planning on bringing that back? Is that an ongoing project um, moving forward? You mean coming back to the festival? Yes, uh, or the festival in general. That's going to be something that's going on again with Otanawa. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. In fact, we are, yeah, we have, done we played in monterey last september together with um other concerts and festivals around the bay mm -hmm. and this year we've done one show in la for the first time um so we are still actively playing in the u.s as well and we'll be playing again in hillsburg in december oh, awesome. so yeah more to come very cool so you know you ended up in the Bay Area, right? And then you mentioned some of these other musicians that you've played with that have roots in San Jose also. Um, what are kind of your interpretations of the San Jose music scene, San Jose jazz scene? Um, and was that like a pleasant surprise or was that a reason that you were drawn here? Or, yeah. Um, San Jose, I, I just love the scene because it's diverse, of course, including, I think, um, coming from my background, you know, San, San Jose has one of the very few Japan towns uh, left in the U.S. And uh, I kind of see sort of meaningfulness to be in that community. But uh, even outside of that, just um, we, we may not be like New York or Tokyo, but it's just the right size for me, the jazz scene. Um, you know, everybody knows everybody kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And whenever you go to a new gig with new members, uh, 
there's a very high chance that you have already played with at least one of those. So that way, uh, naturally, you can expand your uh, network as a musician in the San Jose scene. And uh, there's also San Francisco and Oakland. Um, so together, the Bay Area jazz scene is really, you know, um, exciting and happening. And San Jose, for me, of course, you know, I've been in San Jose for a long time. And I'm still trying to find the connection of San Jose as like the tech, you know, epicenter, and also San Jose as, as a uh, art scene. Um, but to me, maybe the closest thing to that would be uh, me trying to, you know, create music using my, uh, also using technical uh, background, sometimes even, you know, using like machine generated, you know, or AI tools, not always, mm -hmm. uh, but it's actually fun to, you know, borrow some ideas from AI. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I see the, the scene. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because there's so much, you know, fear about AI in certain art circles and, and the art industry, right? But using it, I mean, I guess what what do you think that that illustrates being able to just like use it in a way that's benefiting your art rather than taking away from it? Um, as far as music goes, I'm not too fearful because music and likely in other areas too there there're like infinite possibilities to create a music create a melody or add chords add arrangements so and I've I've thought this through because I've done you know couple of companies focusing on music generated I mean machine generated music at one point, I was like, this is easy. I can just replace, I can just convert my thought process of creating music into logic algorithms. And then I should be able to, mm. you know, let the software compose my music. And I think that still stands true today, but that would be just my way of writing. Um, and because of deep learning these days, um, AI-generated music has evolved even more than that. It's not just a uh, implementation of the creator's music process. It can actually take many, many, many data and generate it, gen generate something be believable. Mm -hmm. But there, there's no context. There's no personality, mm. and there's no attitude, intention. Those things are as important, sometimes more important than, than the melody itself. Why that tune exists, like who is playing it, why did the composer compose it, um, those things actually are very important. And AI cannot do that. So uh, of course you can still, I believe many of the you know top hits today already use a lot of AI generated ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's cool. That gives you 
more possibilities to music that you know no humans have you know discovered mm -hmm. it's just a sort of detection tool of where you know the ores are in the mine and uh, if you find one using that tool just go for it that that gives more uh, depth to the to the the music yeah. that we created yeah awesome yeah well one one final question here in your bio at the end of it it says that you're on a continual pursuit of excellence in music artistry and technology um what is that journey like and i assume it's one of those journeys where it's not necessarily about the destination but it is about that process of getting there yeah it's um it's continuous effort and it's a it's tricky because as an artist musician and software engineer i do want to you know get to the paramount someday but maybe it's a never-ending journey anyway and i get distracted by you know other interesting things maybe at one moment i'm trying to get to the uh you know higher place in on the musical side but all of a sudden i find some group of people in some distance uh working for like self-driving cars <laughs> and <laughs> i was like oh that sounds really cool i'm curious and then i i i you know go off track and go to that group of people and mm -hmm. you know talk to them and learn from them about how self-driving self cars work and at that moment i'm not necessarily thinking about how i would apply this back to music that may or may not happen but i'm just you know going with the flow uh, whatever you know i find interested i mean interesting english is so hard <laughs> <laughs> um I, I i just uh go there and i end up you know at the still at the same level than a while ago but i don't mind because i know something new now and look at the summit again and oh okay yeah i almost forgot let's uh climb this mountain a little bit yeah. so that's that's and then repeat <laughs> <laughs> awesome well ken it's been so great talking to you uh is there anything else that that you want the people to know is there anything that you wish that i had asked you that we can close on there um perhaps uh just a, i might want to yeah, mention my dad who passed away recently um almost everything i do mm. is like because of him and uh, influenced by him of course me born in new york was because you know because of his job and my love to brazilian music again is you know go back to the years of you know when we were in brazil and my curiosity in many things 
especially in languages. Um, he loved learning languages. Even when, you know, he was retired, he was like 68 years old back then. He was on the program of like multi- multi- multiple months programs in Paris, in mm. Florence, for like French studies, Italians. And that's when I actually visited Europe for the first time and met up with my dad. And uh, he also studied and, you know, spoke Spanish or, you know, Mandarin, even Russian. So uh, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, for me, uh, live up to, you know, what, what he left in me and uh, live up to his legacy. Um, so... Yeah, thanks, Dad. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And just, you know, his approach to, to language and your approach to language and how they both are kind of moving in that direction towards universal understanding of kind of what makes people tick and um, moving towards that excellence that you were talking about, right? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's great. Well, um, you know, thanks for talking to us. You are playing... Uh, at the San Jose Jazz Break Room, which is right behind us, um, on November 10th, which mm-hmm. is a Friday. Yes. And it is Ken Okada Group featuring Yoyoka Soma. Um, doors are at 8 o'clock, I think. Um, tickets are $25. Um, but it's been so great to have you, and I can't wait to, to hear you play and uh, hope to encourage everybody else to come out and listen as well. Thank you so much, David. Right on. Thank you for listening to the Content Magazine podcast. Follow us on social media at Content Mag. Become a member and help us to continue to tell the stories of the South Bay creatives. This episode's music is Traces by the Ken Okada Group from their 2023 album, Square One.